It is the Healthy Families Podcast, and I'm your host, Jenny Hatch. Today, I'm going to be sharing some history on McCarthyism and Robert Oppenheimer, whose movie just came out. I have not seen the movie, but I have read a lot about it, and I have a deep understanding of how communists infiltrated the American government, the State Department, and various elements inside of our body politic to further the ends of global communism and Marxism. And while it appears that the Oppenheimer movie is making the case that Joe McCarthy was going after him unjustly as a communist sympathizer, a traitor, and an evildoer, the facts are that Oppenheimer had family members, his sister, his brother, his wife, his girlfriend, who were all Communist Party USA members. And from the time he was at Berkeley until he testified in front of Congress during the McCarthy era, he was in lockstep with communist goals for America. And so I'm going to share a couple of clips from videos that I found on YouTube. One was just a basic five-minute overview of Oppenheimer's life, and it succinctly outlines the issues. And then the other is an interview by Lex Friedman that took place last month with Mark Andreessen, who's probably one of the smartest guys in the world. And I found his thoughts to be incredibly succinct and relevant to the issue of this question. Was Oppenheimer a communist or just a run-of-the-mill commie sympathizer who was unjustly interrogated by an overly zealous Joe McCarthy? That's the question that the movie appears to take on. Like I said, haven't seen it, planning to see it eventually when it comes out online. But these are the questions and I invite you to join me in this conversation so you can suss it out and figure out what's what. So here is the clip. It's found on a YouTube history channel. And like I said, I thought it was very succinct and the analysis of this question. On a man at the nexus of science, war, and suspicion, J. Robert Oppenheimer, known as the father of the atomic bomb, his contributions were invaluable to the end of World War II. But as the Cold War began to cast its long shadow, questions arose. Was this brilliant physicist also a communist sympathizer? Join us as we sift through evidence, testimonies, and classified information, seeking to unravel the true nature of Oppenheimer's political leanings. Let's dive deep into this thrilling chapter of history. Warning! Warning! Unfolding over the span of three hours, Christopher Nolan's latest magnum opus, Oppenheimer, offers an intricate depiction of the father of the atomic bomb, emphasizing numerous crucial moments in his professional and personal life. 
The film extensively explores Oppenheimer's pre-war political beliefs, which are intensely scrutinized during a 1954 security hearing that largely determines the movie's narrative direction. The investigation, set amid the height of McCarthyism, accuses Oppenheimer of covert membership in the American Communist Party based on his publicly expressed political views and certain personal ties. Although several individuals in Oppenheimer's close circle, including his brother Frank, wife Kitty, and girlfriend Jean, were affiliated with the American Communist Party at different times, whether Robert himself was a member remains disputed. It's a fact that Oppenheimer expressed sympathies for the communist cause during his tenure at Berkeley before the Second World War, demonstrating an intellectual curiosity for the ideology, as shown by his subscription to the Marxist journal People's World. Concurrently, he financially backed various progressive efforts, like fundraising for the Republican side during the Spanish Civil War, and campaigned for numerous reforms that were retrospectively classified as communist, while also participating in a discussion group at Berkeley that some members later referred to as a secret offshoot of the Communist Party. Upon his induction into the Manhattan Project in 1942, Oppenheimer candidly mentioned in his security questionnaire that he had been part of practically every communist front organization on the West Coast, though he later referred to this admission as a half-jocular exaggeration. These associations and viewpoints led to Oppenheimer being subjected to severe examination during a notorious security hearing amid the Red Scare, a period when the U.S. government was aggressively targeting individuals suspected of having previously advocated communist ideologies. Oppenheimer first testified before the House Un-American Activities, CHUAC, in 1949, admitting his party connections during the 30s and confessing that many of his students were members while steadfastly denying his own membership. In the same year, his brother Frank faced the HUAC, admitted his membership, and ultimately gave up his position at the University of Minnesota, although he refused to disclose other party members. J. Robert was continuously surveilled by the government, and in 1953 was notified that his security clearance was suspended partly due to a letter sent to FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover alleging that J. Robert Oppenheimer is likely an agent of the Soviet Union. This hearing, a prominent feature in Nolan's film, occurred between April and May 1954, resulting in the revocation of Oppenheimer's security clearance, a decision that was reversed in 2022, 55 years after his death. The depth of Oppenheimer's connection with communism continues to ignite intense historical debates, although the consensus generally refutes the claim that he was a Soviet agent. In his 2012 book, Robert Oppenheimer, A Life Inside the Center, author Ray Monk stated, in a truly practical and tangible sense, he was a supporter of the Communist Party. Moreover, judging by his time, efforts, and money invested in party activities, he was a staunch supporter. Therefore, while it's unquestionable that Oppenheimer backed left-wing politics and harbored communist views, referring to himself as a fellow traveler, the dispute over whether he was an official party member might continue to be unresolved indefinitely. Thanks for watching. So that was just a quick little five minute overview. And I would encourage anybody who's interested in this topic to do your own research. Go figure it out, read books, watch the movie, watch YouTube videos, listen to podcasts, the Lex Friedman podcast, was fascinating, and I encourage you to listen to the whole thing, his interview last month with Mark Andreessen. 
Um, I'm going to play a clip from that in just a minute. But first, I want to give just a quick history of the John Birch Society, because this was the flip side to the Communist Party USA that was working very diligently to uphold the Constitution, the original documents, and the uh, history that Americans have largely uh, pushed, shoved to the side in favor of current historical uh, edu curriculums by people like Howard Zinn, who was also one of these uh, fake patriots who wrote a people's history. To his dying day, he vowed he was not a communist, but everything he did, everything he wrote was to further collectivism in America. So kids are still being taught with that textbook in school. Middle schools and high schools and colleges are using it as the creme de la creme history book to teach young people the truth about their American history. And it's just a big commie rag full of lies. And I'd like to see it purged. Yes, purged, burned from every school in the country. That's my personal opinion. I'm mightily angry, mighty angry that my own kids used this textbook when they were in high school. It is filthy and wrong and we can do better. We can do so much better. I'm somewhat sympathetic to people who fell prey to communist and socialist ideology in the late 1800s and the first half of the 1900s because we didn't have a historical record of what it looked like in practice until the truth started shaking out of what was happening behind the Iron Curtain in Russia and in China. Before that, people were really seduced into thinking it was a great idea because it sounded so great. We're brotherhood of man. We're going to take care of each other and lift up the poor. We're going to go sock it to the rich. Doesn't, doesn't that sound fair? Doesn't that sound equitable? So a lot of good hearted people were seduced and still are today into thinking this is, this is the happy place for people to be in this all things in common, wonderful egalitarian society where we're making certain that everybody has enough food and shelter and everybody's working hard to take care of all the disenfranchised and the disabled and those who have grievances. And so for 100, 150 years in America, we've had this run of Marxist thought, so, socialism being the, the best of the best. But we also concurrently have these examples of what happens behind closed doors when, when the commies and the Marxists get in charge of a nation. And so you can hold up various countries that are right next door to each other. In many of these countries, you have families that were split down the middle between North Korea and South Korea, North Vietnam, South Vietnam, China and Taiwan, and other places around the world where a full-fledged communist uh, socialist paradise was set up next to a vibrant free market economy. And so for those who have eyes to see, who are willing to read and, and listen, you can figure it out. You can step out of the propaganda pushed by historians like Howard Zinn and say, huh, there's a discrepancy here between what I've been taught in school and the facts on the ground, the reality of what people's lives look like. So I hold a place in my heart for people like Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who wrote the Gulag Archipelago, his story of being arrested for speaking out against the government. And this was during the kind of post-Stalin era when they didn't, didn't just 
put a bullet in your head, you just went to prison. So he ends up in this gulag up in Siberia, and he manages to, to live through the experience. I can't remember. I think it was like 19 years he was there. And then he comes out and he writes this book that's kind of the, the standard for what reality is on the ground, who's being, who's being arrested for what, and how long they're being kept locked away, what they're being expected to do, and how they live in this situation. So Gulag Archipelago, go read it. Another great book is uh, Wild Swans, written by Zheng Cheng. She's from China, and her family were high party Communist Party members in the Chinese government. And as a little girl, she grew up in the inner circles of the Communist Party leadership. The three wild swans were her grandmother, who was a concubine to a warlord, her mother, who was married to this high Communist Party official, and her own mother was considered a you know part of that government too. And then Zheng herself growing up during the Cultural Revolution in Mao's China. And then she managed to get out. She defected, married a guy from the West, and started writing these books. So Wild Swans, also an excellent read. Her coming-of-age story in, in a Marxist utopia, what that looked like, what that felt like. I'd really encourage you to read her book. She took the time, 10 years, to write the definitive biography of Chairman Mao. And it's also an excellent read. And I believe when you read the dissident books of people who lived in those cultures, experienced it firsthand, you get a very different experience than what you would get in a faculty faculty uh, lounge or classroom tied to one of the big American universities or even one of our high schools. It's a very different experience. So read Jung, she's one of my favorite authors. One of the other greats is, um, Pasternak, who wrote Dr. Zhivago, Russia. This is a story of a doctor. It was made into a fabulous movie, one of my favorite movies in the 60s. Dr. Zhivago was a um, wealthy man who had married an elite in the inner circle of the czarist Russia, an elite woman who was very wealthy. And they were living quietly in a the country when the communist communist uh, army came and and kidnapped him and forced him to go to work as their doctor and so dr zhivago is also an excellent book all of these books that i mentioned at one time or another were banned in their various countries you couldn't read these books if you were russian if you were chinese they didn't want people reading these stories and getting ideas about how things could be different or of people who defected or who people who broke away and wrote their stories. This still goes on today. There's a woman who wrote a book about her experiences growing up in North Korea. She is cur currently being absolutely smashed in the media. People questioning her narrative, questioning her story, fact-checking her. It's her own story. You know, it's her own, her own narrative. I believe in first-person narratives. That is where you get the truth. When someone takes the time to read their own story, write their own story, and share it with the world, that has much more value than people who are theorizing in ivory towers about what communism 
or socialism looks like in an ideal situation. So you have these people, part of the American government, this is a fact. In the last 20 years, the Soviets opened up their files and all kinds of interesting facts have started tumbling out about who did what, where, and when in America. I encourage you to read some of those books, which are being published in articles and various places around the web, where you can get the facts of how deeply interested Russia and the overall world government Marxist juggernaut was in getting control of America, of taking down our economy, of brainwashing our children, taking over and controlling everything that we think and do and believe. And so it's very important for you to understand the subversion and the tactics. And so Oppenheimer in this key position, creating this weapon, which did in fact stop World War II, um, you have to watch the movie with an open mind and recognize that this tortured man who felt so much guilt for this thing he had unleashed on the world, but then a third of the movie is about him being grilled on Capitol Hill by Joe McCarthy. Why did Christopher Nolan feel the need to put that in his movie and make it appear like he was this great patriot who was all in with USA principles, freedom, free speech. Uh, they want to make him appear like he's a bircher when in fact he was very sympathetic to the communist causes. And there are some people who think that he may have been one of the people who handed the bomb off to the Russians. So here's this clip of um, Mark Andreessen being interviewed on Lex Friedman's podcast last month, talking about this very thing. Can you make the case both for and against the critique of Oppenheimer here? Because we're talking about nuclear weapons. Boy, do they seem dangerous. Well, so the critique goes deeper, and I, le I left this out. Here's the real substance. I left it out because I didn't want to dwell on, on nukes in my AI paper. <laughs> <laughs> but coming out this summer i'm really curious to see how far he pushes this because this is the real drama in the story which is it wasn't just a question of our nukes good or bad it was a question of should russia also have them um and what what actually happened um was russia got the america invented the bomb russia got the bomb they got the bomb through espionage they got american and you know they got american scientists and foreign scientists working on the american project some combination of the two uh basically gave the Russians the designs for the bomb. And that's how the Russians got the bomb. Um, there's this dispute to this day of Oppenheimer's role in that. Um, if you read all the histories, the kind of composite picture, and, and by the way, we now know a lot actually about Soviet espionage in that era because there's been all this declassified material in the last 20 years that actually shows a lot of, a lot of very interesting things. But if you kind of read all the histories, what you kind of get is Oppenheimer himself probably was not a he probably did not hand over the nuclear secrets himself. However, he was close to many people who did, yeah. including family members. And there were other members of the Manhattan Project who were Russian Soviet SS and did hand over the bomb. And so the view uh, that Oppenheimer and people like him had that this thing is awful and terrible and, oh, my God, and, you know, all this stuff, you could argue, fed into this ethos at the time that resulted in people thinking that the Baptists thinking that the only principal thing 
to do is to give the, the Russians the bomb. Um, and so the, the, the moral beliefs on this thing and the public discussion and the role that the inventors of this technology play, this is the point of this book, when they kind of take on this sort of public intellectual moral kind of thing, it can have real consequences, right? Because we live in a very w different world today because Russia got the bomb than we would have lived in had they not gotten the bomb, right? The entire 20th century, second half of the 20th century would have played out very different had those people not given Russia the bomb. And so the stakes were very high then. The good news today is nobody sitting here today, I don't think, worrying about like an analogous situation with respect to like, I'm not really worried that Sam Altman's going to decide to give, you know, the Chinese the design for AI, although he did just speak at a Chinese conference, which is interesting. But however, I, I don't think I don't think that's what's at play here. But what's at play here are all these other fundamental issues around what do we believe about this? And then what laws and regulations and restrictions are we going to put on it? And, and, and that's where I draw like a, a direct straight line. And anyway, and my reading of the history on nukes is like the people who were doing the full hair shirt public, this is awful, this is terrible, actually had like catastrophically bad results uh, from, from taking those views. Um, yeah. and, and that's what I'm worried is going to happen again. But is there a case to be made that you really need to wake the public up to the dangers of nuclear weapons when they were first dropped? Like really, like educate them on like, this is extremely dangerous and destructive weapon. I think the education kind of happened quick and early. Like, how? Oh. It was pretty obvious. Wow. We dropped one bomb and destroyed an entire city. Yeah, so 80,000 people dead. Yeah. But, uh, and look, the, the, but I don't, like, the reporting of that, you can report that in all kinds of ways. Okay. Wars, you can you can do all kinds of slants, like, war is horrible, war is terrible. You can do, you can make it seem like nuclear, the use of nuclear weapons is a part of war and all that kind of stuff. Something about the reporting and the discussion of nuclear weapons resulted in us being terrified in awe of the power of nuclear weapons and that potentially fed in a positive way towards the the game theory of mutual assured destruction well so this gets to what actually happens get to what some actually of us be playing devil's advocate here yeah, yeah sure of course let's get to what actually happened and then kind of back into that yeah. so what what actually happened i believe and again i think this is a reasonable reading of history is what actually happened was nukes that prevented world war three and they prevented world war three through the game theory of mutually assured destruction had nukes not existed Right. There would have been no reason why the Cold War did not go hot. Yeah. Right. And then there and then, you know, and the military planners at the time, right, thought both on both sides thought that there was going to be World War Three on the plains of Europe. And they thought there was going to be like 100 million people dead. Right. It was like the most obvious thing in the world to happen. Right. And, and it's the dog that didn't bark. Right. Uh, like it, it may be like the best single net thing that happened in the entire 20th century is that like that didn't happen. Yeah. So, as I said, that's Lex Friedman interviewing Mark Andreessen last month on his YouTube channel. And I'd really encourage everybody to go listen to the whole thing. It was fascinating. And as he said, he they did this before the movie came out. So Mark didn't know which direction the movie was going to head to have this three-hour movie, a whole hour, hour of it dedicated to McCarthyism and exonerating Oppenheimer as just your, you know, good old boy, American patriot who was interested in serving his country. So I'd be interested in hearing what anyone who's listening has to say. Please go ahead and, and call in if you want to chime in. Um, the John Birch Society was a group of patriots who organized to push back against communism. And it was very effective. There were Birch Societies in so many communities. And in the 60s, the National Review magazine and uh, 
the editor of that magazine went on a mission to purge Birchers out of the national conversation around politics and freedom. And so he worked for decades to make it so they were not listened to or not brought onto television shows to converse about freedom. And it was just this censoring of all of these people who were pushing for uh, the Constitution and free speech and recognized that there were, in fact, Marxists who had inf infiltrated the State Department and many of our institutions who were, in fact, subverting our nation. And so he um, and, and the editor, I can't think of his name, he, he was just on this mission to get rid of the Birchers, paint them as too extreme, and that, that was very, very effective. Uh, Lance, would you like to chime in? Yeah, um, I don't, I'm sure you're, Heidi, uh, oh, whoops, Jenny, you're pretty well, pretty well read. So I think you're referring to Buckley. I'm not sure, but, uh, you, yeah, it's Bill Buckley. Thank you. I could not remember okay, so his name. Just to give a little bit of, I'll give you, I'll, I'll, I'll call it my spin because this isn't like a specific document. This is, this is my take, but, uh, it's pretty much indisputed. So, you know, after we had Eisenhower who, uh, Kind of middle of the road in some ways, comparatively speaking. And uh, then we had Goldwater, who, frankly, as far as I'm concerned, is an honorable, forthright, good guy, you know, even though they painted him as some kind of wacko who was going to put his finger on the bomb. That still to this day, one of the most effective ads with a little girl picking flowers and they show Goldwater 10, 9, 8, like he's going to start a nuclear war preposterous. Goldwater is the kind of people we need on the conservative side. He's a real honest, straightforward, good faith conservative. But what happened, it brought out a lot of right wingers, just like Trump brought out a lot of people. And I'm not dissing on people or chewing on none of that, Jenny. This is, this is just about to give some context. So, uh, so Goldwater comes along and a lot of far right people, because he was the real deal. Uh, Eisenhower was a, he could have been a Democrat. He, he was a general. He was kind of middle of the road. You know, he went both ways. So he, he wasn't exactly a rock ribbed conservative, never tried to. Be, okay. But when you had, uh, Goldwater, he was the real deal. And it actually helped create, uh, Reagan not too many years later. It was only about 16 years, a couple of, you know, terms. Okay. Goldwater was getting traction though. He had a really strong, loyal base, but he couldn't get traction nationally. William F. Buckley, because the John Birchers came out of the woodwork, frankly, okay, and they actually, uh, um, so anyway, uh, the case, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, that was the phone rang, I have to call him back, but anyway, so uh, what Buckley did, he literally created the National Review because he wanted to see the Goldwater movement stay strong. And he, as far as he was concerned, that he was the real conservative. And he didn't want, frankly, I'm sorry, these early prototype of QAnon, tinfoil hat conspiracy theorists. So Buckley and the whole movement was saved. So if you want, if you like Goldwater and Reagan, you can thank Buckley for putting the Birchers back into the woodwork. And then they came out with Trump. I'm sorry. That's just my opinion. But so I don't know what to say about Buckley, but uh, it wasn't like there was this, this great Bircher thing that was going to take over. It was going to destroy the conservative movement. And Buckley wanted to preserve Goldwater and preserve. In your opinion. 
exactly what I said. So, but this is all documented about why Buckley did it. This isn't like my opinion. I mean, he wanted to preserve Goldwater's movement. And if you wouldn't have had, you wouldn't have had Reagan, you wouldn't have had Reagan possibly if, uh, if Buckley didn't come out there and say, we got to get these, these wackos, like we got to, we got to discredit them. And that's what he did. And so you could thank Buckley for Reagan because if it was the Birchers, just like QAnon, you're not going to get a guy that says, I'm QAnon, I'm president. You just won't. You just won't have that. And it, it will destroy it. And that's what Buckley did. He saved the conservative movement, for better or worse. And he, if it wasn't for people like him, that's why he started National Review, was to specifically to discredit the Birchers, look it up. And he did. No, that's, that's what why I said, it. and I, I appreciate you backing me up, because that's exactly what I said. He cut all those patriots a conversation. Right, but I'm saying that, was, but my was, point is that, I, I be careful, all I'm saying though, Jenny, is be careful what you wish for, because if you had gotten your way, you would never have had Reagan. These people would have been wiped off the map. You're not going to see. Well, so yeah. So he, he did you a favor, believe it or not, because without that, they would have just been completely discredited for the, excuse me, tinfoil hat wearers that they are. But, uh, so, you know, you wouldn't have had Reagan without Buckley destroying the credibility of the Birchers. That's just, a, you know, very, very much. Go ask some conservatives and they'll thank you. Oh, if I they know. like Goldwater and Reagan, they will, they will, they will thank Buckley for uh, preventing the conservative movement from being destroyed. Do you think Oppenheimer was a communist? About Oppenheimer, I don't. I don't have an opinion one way or the other. Uh, you know, I, you know, I don't. I don't opine on things that I don't have some basis in knowledge to back it up. So, I, like a journalist would. Uh, it's not. It's not my. So, I don't have an opinion either way about. It. Well, thanks for calling in, Lance. I appreciate your views. Thank you, Jenny. Yep. It's one thing I will say. Even though we had it back and forth here, and boy, you left the room. I have utmost respect for you because, you know, whatever happens today, it doesn't carry over to tomorrow, and uh, just props for that. Thank you. It's always a new day. Bob, what do you have to say? Hello, Bob, what do you Hello, have to can say? Hello, can you hear me? I can. Okay, wonderful. Hey, uh, uh, the only thing that uh, – that I'm going to say is, uh, have you ever read uh, Oppenheimer's Journal has actually been published. Have, have you ever read it? I have not. You really should, man. It's uh, going to give you uh, uh, some some of the uh, ins and outs of his thinking. And the dude was actually really brilliant, as well as actually Einstein. And the interactions between Einstein and Oppenheimer in that movie are actually taken from both those men's journals. It's pretty amazing. Um, I found them the movie to be uh, uh, pretty amazing. But uh, my question, okay, is um, uh, 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 democracy is a, is a government by the people for the people, right? Yes. Okay. And um, hey, if some of those people are Marxists, does that exclude them or what? Not at all. Nope. Okay. So, all. Like, so like a government being infiltrated by Marxists who would – actually be a good thing in a democracy if those people legitimately believe that. Am I wrong? Yes, you're wrong because the United States Republic, a representative republic, is not compatible with communist goals, which are to destroy republics, to destroy the freedom of the people. Those are not compatible. They cannot coexist. But if a majority wants to go that way, then that would be a democratic way, right? We're not a democracy. We're a representative republic. And, and, but it's still majority rule. No, that's a democracy. 
We're a republic. So, 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 okay, if I were to elect a Marxist into Congress, that would be a bad thing, even if the majority of the people in my district want to be represented by said Marxist. I'm just saying it's not compatible. If the people want to have socialist and Marxist and communist representatives, that's their business. Okay. It is not compatible with a representative republic, a free republic. I'm just just pointing to the goals are at loggerheads. I I mean, they might be. And yet I'm still pointing to the, if this is the people, the way the people want to go, then that's the way the people want to go. And I would, take issue with the idea that that's um, infiltration. Anyway, that's pretty much all I have to say. Socialism comes into a country with a vote. Communism tends to come into a country with the gun. It's imposed on people. Or you have what we've had in America for many years, which is people positioning themselves as patriots, but in their hearts they are Marxists and they are working very hard to further communist goals. And it is, in fact, this fakery that Joe McCarthy was outing. Can you mute? Because we're getting an echo. Uh, When McCarthy went to work, and there's been almost a 70-year campaign now to discredit Joe McCarthy, paint him as a hater, paint him as a nothing. But there were, in fact, communists in the State Department, in Hollywood, and at Los Alamos working on this nuke. And McCarthy wanted to understand how deeply they were embedded and and what they did. Did they actually hand the bomb to the Russians? Yes, that's a fact. Was that good for America? Was that good for the people who lived behind the Iron Curtain for 50 years to have this technology that prevented perhaps freedom-loving countries from uh, absolutely freeing those people from their tormentors? These are the types of questions that Mark Andreessen was asking on the Lex (coughs) Friedman show. That's interesting. Authoritarianism is okay as long as it's in service to what exactly? Because, like, as far as I'm concerned, uh, I like, um, you know, Hollywood is the private sector, right? And so Marxists aren't supposed to be in Hollywood, but they're not supposed to be in the private sector either. Where are they supposed to be? They just cease to exist? They just go away in a... It is the fakery that I have the biggest issue with. Them pretending that they're patriots and all in with the Constitution and first principles, but they're really working to subvert all of that by turning us into a socialist hellscape. And as I said at the beginning of the show, which I don't think any of you are here. I wasn't there, sorry. We have a 70 year uh, historical record of what various countries look like right next to their neighbors, families in the form of North Korea, South Korea, North Vietnam, South Vietnam, China, Taiwan, and other places around the world where socialism slash communism was fully implemented. And you have these never ending hellscapes like East Germany. And then when the wall comes down and the markets are opened and the people are freed, guess what? 
the people do better. They're happier. It's more healthy. And so, like I said, I'm sympathetic to people who during the early part of the 20th, 20th century were seduced into thinking socialism would be a good thing for humanity. I don't have as much patience for it today because we have this record of what it looks like in real life from these real world examples. And I listen to the voices of those who actually lived under those systems rather than the staff or the professors at the local faculty, faculty lounge opining about which Marxist country does it better. So do you have any other comments? Yeah, I'm not really a Marxist, but people get to believe what they want, right? And then with that, they can then go ahead and do whatever they want. Yeah. Right. If somebody wants to run for office on a full communist platform, go for it. If you can get elected into office, do it. People do that. And it's yeah. actually happened quite often. And I just don't like the faking. I don't like the faking going into the private sector with their own personal beliefs like Hollywood. And for instance, like you bring up is also not a problem in a free society. You're you're going into very authoritarian freaking zones there. And you're, you know, when you um, what was it when you fight when you fight monsters, you must watch that you don't become one. Anyway, that's all I have to say. Have a good day. Thank you for participating. I appreciate your views. If no one else wants to participate, I'm going to close down the show. But thank you so much for listening. The video I crafted today, I craft a video every day, including all of the news clips, memes, and tweets that I think are the most important, focused on this question of Oppenheimer. Who was he? What were the goals? What did he actually accomplish? Is anything being whitewashed? by this movie. Oh, Hakeem, wonderful. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jenny. How are you? I'm well, and you? I can hardly hear you. Can you speak up? Oh, I'm, I'm doing well, and you? I'm great. So, um, my question is, um, do you think that um, that the one of the main agendas here, because I hear a lot of talk about Marxism, um, are Marxism, socialism, and communism compatible here, or is it or interchangeable, or is it specifically um, the Marxist view on on what could be considered an il infiltration and um, well, would, is this infiltration of Marxism a, a threat to um, an already unstable economy? When they started, and I'm thinking like 1917, Bolshevik Revolution, Russian Revolution, um, they came in and immediately started messing with the economy. And it got so bad that people like Emma Goldman who was a dissident from Ukraine who came over to America and um, was agitating for free speech, using American principles to push back on the American people to say, look, there are fascists right now who are organizing wars, who are depriving you of all of your liberties. You need to speak out against these wars. That was the voice that Emma Goldman had. When she went back to Russia after the revolution, 
she met face to face with Lenin. And she had seen the people starving in Ukraine. And she thought the revolution was a mess because there were so many dead people and everybody was hungry. So she got right in his face and he said, how are things going over in America? I know you're over there working hard. And she's like, I'm not working for this. This is a mess. These people are starving. And so at the beginning of the revolution, it was really about tearing down the institutions and setting up this equality, so-called equality. But of course, they're going to be in charge. The Russian uh, Communist Party is in charge and they get to determine how people will live. And Emma was able to see it very clearly. And she eventually was kicked out of the United States because she had a very difficult time. Her Everybody should study her life. Somebody should make a movie about her because she was such a powerful voice and she's still influencing people. I love her. I thought she was awesome. But she was over here agitating so much for communist principles that America finally said, we're done with you, get out. And they kicked her out and they would not let her back, which she was very sad about that. She loved America because she was free to prosper. She worked as a midwife and she was a political agitator and she really believed in equality and making, making certain that people did well and that they weren't, you know, being just crushed by the institutions, especially during the, um, industrialization that did squash a lot of poor people. As everything was industrialized, you had all of these young young families who were just smashed to bits and their kids were working in the factories and, you know, the owners didn't care. That is true. And so I think the communists rose up amidst the industrial revolution saying, we have the solutions. We're going to tear this all down and rebuild it better. And like I said, what we learned during the 20th century is they didn't build it better. People starved. People lost their jobs because they would question things. And here in America, you know, you can question the president. You can question everything, hopefully without getting too messed with. We know people are messed with, but not too badly and not arrested, hopefully, you know. I understand the fascistic sides of America. I've actually experienced those sides. So I'm not saying we're perfect, but in terms of principles, in Mao's China, they had these struggle sessions for hours. You'd sit with your neighbors confessing on yourself of the evil that you did. And you could do better if you, if you were just a bigger hearted person and if you were denounced by your own struggle session, quite often you were beaten, tortured, imprisoned, sometimes killed because they didn't want any bourgeois thought, any bougie behavior. If you aspired to have more than your neighbors, you indicated, one of your kids indicated, hey, I'd like to have a better bike than this person. You were denounced for not teaching your child properly. This is what we saw during Mao's Cultural Revolution. And 100 million Chinese died during these years. So much death, so much needless death for these principles. And for those here in America agitating for a, a communization of our society, making things equal, knocking down the, the power centers, um, 
these other countries are a cautionary tale. You know, be really, really careful what you wish for. It may not be what you want. Now, I'm the first person to say we've got fascism in America. I understand it. I see it very clearly. And I see President Trump and his America First MAGA movement as being the answer to all that fascism. There's a lot of confusion about that right now. But that's where we're at. And he, RFK Jr., these are the two who have said they want to go into the American government and gut it. Absolutely gut it. Get rid of whole departments and cabinet positions and just trim the fat of our government and go back to first principles, separation of powers, individual liberty, common defense, but not these crazy wars. These are the reasons why I support these two men. So, do you have any commentary on that, Hakeem? Um, you know, just that uh, it tracks eerily close to um, what I'm reading in books that are supposed to teach you about building wealth through a capitalist system. That I can't hear you. Can you speak up? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know what's going on with my mic. Is it only that it tracks eerily similarly along with uh, material that I'm studying that's supposed to be about increasing wealth through understanding financial education as through a free market capitalist system and that a lot of the things that are being said by these authors is that um, one of the main reasons for the destabling of the economy and the weakening of the American empire, if you will, is because of an infiltration of um, socialists, Marxists, Leninists, and, and communists. So just, um, it's interesting that all of the things, too, because a lot of financial um, advisors, in at least in this caliber, that would be known as like professional investors and business owners, all are saying that... Um, that, you know, how like uh, economists make predictions of the future of the economy and things like that. These guys have made predictions about the way the economy is going, but those predictions include um, the fact that the problem has to do with um, socialist infiltration. So I just think it's, um, it's interesting. Well, so. one of the countries where you had some real demonic people in charge was Romania. And Ceausescu and his wife were running this little fiefdom. They had 50 high-scale properties that they would travel, you know, a couple times a year. Let's go to this one. Let's go to the high-end artwork, valuables, and they're running their little communist country. Uh, and, and people have been asked, asked the government, you know, what did you do to change things? Oh, well, we took the Ceausescu's out in the yard and shot them, held them accountable. They had a little trial. You know, this is on video. You can watch it. On YouTube, a little trial. You're guilty. Took them out and put a bullet in them, and then we opened up the markets. And what do you know? You see Romania start to recover economically once their uh, socialist leader was effectively dealt with. Wow.
Any other comments? I got Sean here waiting. Should I go to Sean? No, that that's it. Thank you very much for having me on the show, Jenny. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for participating. Hello. Yeah. Uh, I just gotta say, like. You know, I'm I'm a person that's been studying the Bible and Jesus, and, like, I'm almost positive we're in, like, the end times right now. How do you not know, like, Donald Trump is the Antichrist? I mean, I, I find that, like, I find it personally hilarious that that is probably the case, but, like, Mr., like, two Corinthians, <laughs> like, I grab him by the pussy, you think that Donald Trump, is in any functional form a billionaire here to disrupt the system of power that's already in existence? I do. I do. I believe people can change, Sean. I know he was a womanizer. I knew he was a womanizer when I voted for him the first time. But I believe people can change. And I also believe God can use the wicked to do good things. There's history. There's historical record for that. In the Bible, there was a king named Cyrus. He did some good things for God's people. And I believe President Trump has a wicked side to him. I really do. But I also believe in repentance. And I believe that people can change. And I believe that the things he's been implementing and the things he additionally wants to do during his next term will, in fact, free us from the Marxist juggernaut that we've all been living and suffering under, especially the last three years with Joe Biden at the helm. You think Joe Biden is, see, this is the problem. What do you think Marxism means? Because I swear to you, it doesn't mean Joe Biden. And like, at the end of the day, what did Donald Trump do? He gave tax breaks to millionaires and billionaires. And this is the problem you seem, and this, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. What you're doing right now, that's called idolatry in Christianity. In real Christianity, that's idolatry. That means, like, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's is the foundation of Christianity because by the very standard and philosophy of Christianity, the entire world has fallen. And the governments, all forms of governments, even Israel in the Bible, was a failed government that God had to destroy two times, like literally two times, because they couldn't stop hurting poor people and couldn't stop attacking people like they're doing now. It, like, th like the, point, the, the point is, is that... What you're doing is you're worshiping America and you're worshiping Donald Trump and you're putting America and Donald Trump in the position and place of God, which is the antithetical position to Christianity. Like it's literally in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not have any God before me. And it seems that you are putting Donald Trump and the United States government in the position of God itself or himself. I worship God and God alone. When Jesus Christ returns to the earth, it has been prophesied that the government will be upon his mighty shoulders. Until he comes back, I am going to publicly align with the man who goes before the United Nations and gives one of the best speeches I've ever heard about how to defeat communism in America and in the world. Did okay, you know he gave that speech? 
No, see, the problem is that, like, I don't know what kind of words you're using, and you seem to think that because of the fact you have a personal comprehension about what reality is, that that actually equates to reality. This is the problem. You and your ideas don't equate to actual functional reality. Like, this is the entire, and this is this is the point, this is the biggest problem I have with modern-day Christians. People don't understand that there is a difference between subjectivity and objectivity. If God is real, up in an objective sense, you can be wrong. Like, you can literally go to hell and call yourself a Christian if God is objectively right. And in fact, as a, a follower of Jesus myself, both of us can't be right. Either Donald Trump is evil, and I he's like honestly a servant of Satan and sin and evil. Like, that's my position. Your position is he's chosen and ordained by God. Let me just let you in on a little secret. Both of us can't be right. That's true. Both of us, at the end of the day, at the, like, at the end of the day, you need to understand that that reality of God's power and God's authority could come upon you in a form of judgment. When it talks about in the Bible, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It means one very simple thing. You are not God and never assume that you're God, or never assume you know God's thoughts. Never assume that you have that right, you have that authority, because all throughout the Bible, people who speak up for God, like in Jeremiah, and they're not speaking for God, get utterly obliterated by him. So why do you think Donald Trump is, like, for, first of all, the chosen Messiah in whatever kind of sense you want to you wanna call him a servant of God? And second of all, what do you think communism is? If you think like Joe Biden is a communist, what do you think? What do you think communism even means? <laughs> like, I, I really do want to know both of those questions. You can start either one, but like, I don't think you have any, any, I don't think you're tethered to reality or any like common definitions because calling Joe Biden a communist is insane. Well, the communists have a pattern. A definition the, and their families and their kids it's all about them all the evidence coming forward that there's a long pattern of this family using their political power to enrich themselves so there's that but then there's the overall undermining of american sovereignty and bowing down to global institutions and a willingness to um be enslaved even by those who have uh, corrupted them. Or there's some question of how much control do certain countries have over the Bidens in terms of extortion material because it's in all of these bribes and corrupt as fuck but so is donald trump donald donald trump put like freaking ivanka and henry and and his uh ivanka and uh freaking her husband into his own like like just because joe biden's corrupt doesn't mean donald trump is not also corrupt also that's not a definition of communism i don't know what that is but that's not communism nothing you said has anything to do with communism i think you're you're, you're taking a word communism and you're just saying, like, the stuff I don't like or the stuff I think is bad is communism. That's not communism. That is, like, you just making up a word. You're, like, you you using a word that has a defined definition and then using it to describe whatever you want. And this is the point that I'm making. It seems that all you're doing 
is you're living your entire existence based upon your subjective perception. You think that because of the fact you think communism is Joe Biden and Joe Biden is bad, that means Joe Biden is communism, is not communicating or is not tethered to any form of reality or objectivity. Communism has a definition. It has a Merriam-Webster definition. It even has a Wikipedia page. It comes from Marx. Karl Marx, and it has a basis of like theological and philosophical foundation that means a shit ton, and it has nothing to do with Joe Biden. And this is and this is the the inherent problem that like if your entire basis about what you're saying is not in agreement with like basic language, then the only thing you're saying is that I have this feeling or I have this thought about this thing in particular. And because I don't like it, I'm right about it. You're not changing anything. And the only thing you've done is made your own perception. God, because like right now you're not like, you are not even using a definition of what communism is. You're, you're making up a term and you're saying this idea I have in my head is objective reality. It's not objective reality. Like communism. When, when the government assumes control over the children in terms of their education and their health care, and your children don't really belong to you. They belong to us, which are in fact things that the Biden administration Kamala Harris, Joe himself have said over the past three years, that's a communist trope. Your children don't really belong to you. They belong to the state. That's why you saw things like East Germany, the children who participated in the Olympics, they didn't have names. They had numbers. And over in in China, the little gymnasts, they're taken away from their families at a very early age, almost never get to see them because they belong to the state. Okay. So, where, 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 Sean, first, can I finish my point? I listened very no, patiently no, no, no. for you. This is my show. I have a group of educators who believe it's their right to teach the kids whatever the hell they think is best for them. Don't really care what mom and dad have to say. The Biden administration's right there backing them up with these education policies. We've just had three years of COVID with all the people from the government telling parents what to do with their children, including pregnant women. Got to get the vaccine. What if it hurts my kid? Got to get the vaccine. All these moms dropping their babies dead because of government mandates, advice. These are communist moves. President Trump is someone when COVID started, He said, no mandates, never, no mandates, free will. And he's always talking about parental rights. These are the issues I am the most deeply concerned about as an American woman, as a mother and a grandmother. If it walks like duck, it's a duck. So you have to look at the behavior and align it with what we know about what other communist countries have done to their people and say, hmm, who's the communist here? First, okay, so you do, you're you confusing communism with fascism. 
fascism and communism don't mix. Communism is the, the, the population of a country owning the very essence of the government. It's not communism and fascism have nothing to do with each other. Joe Biden has fascistic tendencies, just like Donald Trump has fascistic tendencies, just like you have fascistic tendencies. You're confusing communism with fascism. Fascism is the idea that anything I don't like, I should have control or power over to decide and control. That's fascism. Communism is literally an organization of a society that is there to provide, first of all, for the benefit of the public first of all and not for money or corporations or yeah, i would i would reject that because history has shown the first people who are enriched by marxism socialism and communism are in fact the politicians and their families they get it first donald trump's a billionaire who literally castro, said, castro had six different cows in his barn one for each member of his family who like different types of milk. Oh my God, he had six cows. It's, it's crazy. Joe, Donald Trump's a billionaire. Like, what are we talking about here? And you don't understand that, like, the nature of the difference between communism is capitalism. Joe Biden is a capitalist. Do you understand what capitalism is? Capitalism is the, the, the effort and the work of creating a society that creates a form of quote unquote capital that is the defining point of that entire civilization, government, or country. That's the difference. And, and let let me, let me bring it back to Jesus. Jesus made it very clear. You cannot serve both God and money. Donald Trump's a billionaire. A billionaire. You cannot serve both God and money. At, like By the very definition of Jesus' teaching and Jesus' philosophy, Donald Trump has no ability to be a servant of God. By the very philosophy and teachings of Jesus. And this is, and this is the problem. And, and, this is, and one of the reasons I'm a socialist, I'm not even a communist, but the one reason I'm a socialist is because I actually understand what Jesus talked about. He said, feed the hungry, feed the poor, feed the sick, heal the, heal the, yeah, heal the sick, feed the hungry. That was the philosophical position of Jesus that is what he taught. Donald Trump doesn't believe that. Donald Trump doesn't care about like what he did to children at the border. That, that That's antithetical to the teachings of Jesus. For what you did to the least of them, you've done unto me. How many, pe how many poor people has Donald Trump hurt? How many poor people in Mexico, in Iran, in freaking Palestine? All of that, Donald Trump supports all the suffering and pain of all of those people. That is antithetical to the teachings of Jesus. But because of the fact you think that me, I, I mean, you kind of worship your own perception. So, no, I mean, no. there's no... I worship Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ did not come to this earth to save the collective of humanity. He did not come to give guaranteed results for mortality. Jesus Christ came to the earth to provide the way for each individual to come unto him, learn of his ways, and then be perfected in him and gain eternal life, knowing that there would be many people who would choose not to use the atonement, not to repent of their sins, not to follow the commandments. Jesus Christ, first and foremost, was concerned about free will. What are you? First of all, Jesus. Jesus clearly says the only point, the only part of the Bible where G Jesus clearly lays out the conditions for heaven and hell is the parable of the sheep and the goats. He literally says. 
for I was thirsty and you did not give me water. For I was naked, you did not clothe. For I was in prison, you did not visit me. For I was the least among you. Whatever you did unto them, you've done unto me. And if you don't help those people, or even worse, if you harm those people, you are literally harming Jesus. This is not a debate. This is like literally not negotiable. You can believe whatever you want, but I'm just going to let you know flat out, you don't believe in Jesus. You don't follow his teachings. And what did Jesus say in the Bible? Those who hear my teachings or hear my words and do not put them into action. I think I've had enough of Sean. Sean, I love you. But, you know, when you start yelling at me and telling me I'm not a Christian, that's where I have to draw the line. Shardal, do you have something to say? Can you hear me? I can't. Can you really speak up? It's very quiet. Um, so, um, so uh, I was talking about um, J. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, he was involved with the Communist Party, but he was he wasn't an actual member. Um, and I have I didn't actually watch the movie um, that came out in theaters, but people have said it's a really good movie. I mean, it really covers a lot of history about like the development of the atomic bomb and everything like that. And um, it's a really good movie, but it's it's three hours long, so some people um are deciding like should we stay for the whole three hours because it's a long movie i mean there's a lot of a lot of stuff that's covered in the film so um but it's it's historically accurate like all the people that are portrayed in it are are the actual people that are involved in the manhattan project and everything like that and you know in in new mexico did Um, you see it i didn't see it for myself i know many of my friends have watch it and they said that it's very accurate like all the uh, depictions and all the events that the movie shows were actually like the real things that happened so it was a good movie but very, it was very long you know so that's just the problem about the thing that it was way too long it was some people probably fell asleep watching through the movie well thank you for your thoughts I'm, I'm gonna move on to John and um uh um uh, if Sean was yelling at you, then, um, uh, uh, I know you're a nice person. And, um, if, if he was, uh, doing that to you, don't, um, don't let that affect you, you know, just go on with your show and just do your own thing. And don't worry about him because he's just, he's just being a hater and he's just hating on you just because he doesn't like to come on your show. Well, I, I love Sean. I've actually known him for a long time and I, I do not get upset when somebody feels passionate. I just don't like to be called, you know, told that I'm not a Christian when I am. Yeah, so that's, um, he's a, he's a good person, but, um, um, I know some of my friends, when they say things, they, they, they don't mean to be offensive and rude to to other people, but sometimes the words that they, that, that they say kind of convey that, even though that's not what they're trying to convey, they're not trying to convey to be offensive and rude to other people. They're not, they're, that's not their intention, but sometimes, you know, they, they don't realize that they're they're saying things that might be potentially like the other person might be hurt um, it might hurt the other person so that's yeah. to work on that and 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 to say like you know whatever words that come out of your mouth you should focus on like what the how how do those words make make the other per, other person feel because who knows the other person might not like what you're saying yeah agreed well thank you so much I'm gonna go to the next caller. <laughs> Hi, Jenny. Can you hear me? I can. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know much about the topic, the, the title of the room, but uh, I tuned in when Sean was yelling at you, uh, you're not a real Christian. And uh, I was hoping to unpack or continue on that thread. Um, this this idea that Jesus was a socialist, um, and I'm curious your thoughts, but I think it just stems from this, like really I think these are Sean's views and lots of people like him have those views. And they they kind of read that into the Bible. <laughs> um, and they what they seem to miss the distinction of which I thought you very clearly uh, unpacked is that Christ is here for the individual. He, his, his calling is, or his uh, charge for you is to feed the hungry. His charge for you is not to make other people feed the hungry. And I'm just curious how you think about that distinction or if you can unpack it better than I can. Sure. <clears throat> Happy to. Um, my faith, we have a unique doctrine that teaches before the earth was even created that there were two plans submitted to Heavenly Father about how we would live on this earth. The first, and Satan wanted us to come down to the earth and be compelled, forced to be good. And he would deliver all of us back to Heavenly Father whole. Everybody's perfected, and I want all of the glory for this plan given to me because I came up with it, you know. So that was Satan's plan. Jesus had a different plan. And it was that we come down to the earth and we'd be given our freedom so that we could choose for ourselves whether we would be good or we would be evil. He would provide a list of commandments that we should adhere to if we wanted to live a happy life. And if we broke those commandments, you know, think about the commandments, you know, don't have adultery, don't lie. If we break those commandments, he's going to provide an atonement for our sins, cover our sins with his own blood and make a way for us to repent, knowing that sometimes we would screw it up. And if we chose to repent and become perfected in him, we could return back to heaven and live with heavenly father for eternity. And unfortunately, some would choose not to partake of that plan of salvation and would choose to break the commandment things with their lives but for those who chose to keep the commandments and repent of their sins this is the plan that jesus proposed and that heavenly father implemented on this earth he kicked satan out of heaven and with satan went a third of the hosts of heaven billions and billions of spirits who followed satan because they liked his plan they wanted something guaranteed but Jesus said, no, this is the better plan because we're here to be tested to find out if we're worthy for these great blessings that Heavenly Father has for us, which the Bible assures us we can't even comprehend the things that Heavenly Father has prepared for those that love him. So I'm not, and I'm guessing some of that is Mormon. Is that right? Yeah, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint. That's one of right. our founding doctrines. It's so called the, the plan of salvation. For anybody gotcha. who wants to go watch a video or something about it. Yeah, I mean, thanks for sharing that. And I'm not a Mormon, but I but even like if you read the New Testament, <laughs> uh, it is clear to me that, you know, what Sean was yelling at you, um, Jesus said a lot of those things. But the thing that I have a hard time with, and I'm trying to, I, I would love to help people who 
who read the Bible and for some reason they pull out of it that Jesus wants you to vote for things that force people, you know, to, to, uh, you know, somebody in North Carolina to give money to somebody in North Dakota. To pay for their child's transgender surgery. Right. Where my understanding of all this is, is like, yes, God, you know, God orchestrates all things. So if you are providentially around somebody who has a need and you just sit there and, uh, and, and you know about it and you just, you just let it go. That's the kind of thing that God's judging when he says, you know, Christ is judging when he says, you know, the least among, you know, uh, I was hungry and you didn't feed me, that kind of thing. He's well, he not... said it was pure religion mm-hmm. to take care of the widows and the orphans. Pure mm-hmm. religion. That's where we should focus our energies and feeding the hungry, right. clothing the naked. But nowhere do I get from scripture that it says, uh, you know, Jenny should be forced to feed the needy person, you know, who lives on the other side of the state. Like, I think providentially speaking, you should feel compelled because you have the Holy Spirit in you to help those in need that God has put in your path. I think the modern day with the internet and, you know, I don't even know where you reside, but you could be on the other side of the planet while we're talking right now. It makes us feel very close, (laughs) right? But I don't think that I'm the person who should, who necessarily needs to be leaning into you, Jenny, when you have a need. You're surrounded by a bunch of Christians that should be more than uh, happy and compelled to to do those things. Well, and the, I com- wish- the communists always love to talk about the children. Mm-hmm. We're doing this for the children. And God's plan is that children be raised by their parents. And that it's the it's parent's true. obligation to provide them with food and clothing and shelter, education, health care. This is the parent's duty. A society, a sick society that's agitating for divorce and broken families and even the tax policies make it harder to exist as a married couple, as a family. And then you have all these incentives seducing our young girls to go get married to the government and let the government be the father provider for those children Mm -hmm. have some serious Marxism because the state wants to have control over those kids. Well, then the kids can do whatever the state wills. Hopefully, you know, according when I say hopefully, I don't mean I hope I mean the state hopes. Well, this is where you get into Sean's fascism and he has a point you have all of these corporations that are married to the state and they want to assume authority over your children to determine how they are born, how they are medicated, how they are educated and fed, whether or not they take this drug or that drug or get this surgery. And they're sitting there, you know, reaping the harvest of all of this money. And the parents are like, what if I don't want any of that stuff for my kid, you know? What if I want to go over here and just raise my own food and teach my own kids and use some natural remedies? And I don't want any of that stuff that you're trying to sell me or compel me to use. You've heard the term medical kidnap. Hmm. We have this thing today where, oh, the parents ignored the doctor's advice for their kid. So we're going to take the child away from the parents and let the doctor and the hospital assume ownership of the kid. The parents still have to pay the bills, but the hospital gets to decide now what the kid's going to do. 
this oh, is the type of this is the type of fascism that I yell the loudest about because yeah, I mean it's so it, wrong historically, you know the hospitals, the police, pretty much every institution these were institutions put in place by families by fathers you know uh as a way to solve some problem in society, but ultimately if you know, the father was, was like, was this is what I want. To... Go ahead. It, it was C.S. Lewis himself who said the homemaker is the reason for all other professions. Mm. We're here to support her and her work. C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. I think the family is supposed to be and, and Lord willing will soon be again the central unit of civilization. Well, and you have someone like Donald Trump every day putting out policies. He put one out last week about what he plans to do for families with his next administration. Mm -hmm. He wants to have a baby boom and do everything they can to support young couples in having their children. Mm -hmm. Tax incentives, all kinds of incentives to help them, help them get launched. The way things are right now, it's so expensive. to, And so many people don't even have health care to begin with. To even think about bringing a child into this world with no health care and you don't own a home and you're barely making a subsistence living minimum wage or whatever. You know, he wants to fix all that. The Democrats don't care. They want their fascistic money to keep rolling in on all the brokenness. The biggest issue I have with that system is psychiatry for children. There are way too many children in our nation who are on psychiatric meds. Oh, yeah. And so many of the kids who get sick that way, it's a side effect from using other drugs. Oh, I'm going to give you this cough medicine or this Tamiflu. Oh, my kid just went psychotic. I guess I need to get them on psychiatric meds. And then they've got their patient for life. This is the type of stuff I have devoted many, many hours to exposing, encouraging other moms, you know, you can yep. do it without any of the drugs. You can raise a healthy child without any of that crap. And so that is my consistent message. And, and for the record, I'm a huge fan of Trump's. He's still my number one pick for the primaries. Um, Me too. Yeah, I don't know if you saw in the room chat. I, you know, I'm, I, not I try to be, I'm not reading it. Okay, probably for the better. But um, <laughs> I try to be charitable. And, and I say, look, and this isn't an original idea. I, I borrowed this from a pastor. His name's Doug Wilson. And it's like, look, our culture is struggling. Like, that's something we all, we all agree on. You could be Democrat, Republican. Everyone thinks like, oh, no, something's, something's wrong, right? And my view is that there is a cancer on society right now, and I think it's this new woke left religion. It's not new in principle, but it's taken on a new form, you know? I love and that you call it a religion because, boy, it it's smacks of a religion. It is a religion. And, and here's the thing. I think of that religion as a cancer because it's destructive it's degenerative it's 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 trying to survive on its own but in doing so it's going to kill the body right and i look at donald trump as chemo for some reason when donald trump entered office i don't think he does it intentionally i think it's just who he is it's his personality i'm from new york so i never really had a problem with the way he speaks all of that but you put donald trump in a room with with the cancer and the cancer just exposes itself it's like it's like a bright light gets shine, shown on it. And I think more than ever, people today are, are aware of this cancer, the, the ESG stuff, the, the DEI stuff, men can be women stuff, all of it, right? It's all the same stuff. 
And under normal circumstances, I, John, I, I, would, I, I, I call all of that communism. Right. And, you know, I would say because some, somebody like Sean is going to get you on technicalities, like what really is communism, but it's certainly communistic, Com, you know, like it's, it has the character of communism, period. It's the and, state assuming control, authority over the parents, over the families. That is, in fact, Marxism. Right. And it's how it has presented in every other nation where it has been implemented. Yeah. Some would say communism is just one form of a broader category. I don't care because to me, that's all just now we're just arguing semantics. I think you're right, you know, in spirit and in principle. But what I was going to say about Donald Trump is I don't see him as like the savior, obviously. Uh, and I would even admit under normal circumstances, he I would not want him to be president. But if you have cancer, right, you might take chemo. If you don't have cancer, you, sh you would never tell somebody, oh, just take chemo, just, you know, because <laughs> chemo itself is very damaging to your body. And Trump, I think, under under normal circumstances would not be the best president. But given our unique circumstances, I'll say this. Donald Trump is not the one destroying this country. He's the well, one that, for some reason, when he's around, that which is destroying our country starts to destroy itself. So I want more of Trump. <laughs> he is absolutely fearless. And I think he and his family, Melania growing up in a communist, were uniquely prepared to withstand the storms that we've witnessed over these last seven or eight years. They're still standing. They're still smiling. He still jokes. And it's that lighthearted, happy warrior. This We're going to smash these communists. Mm -hmm. We're going to kick these Marxists out of government. We're going to get rid of the, you know, carceral state that, you know, locks up all the January 6th uh, protesters, but can't be bothered to put away anybody who burned down a building in the summer of 2020, you know, yeah. this is the man I want in charge of our Republic. And I look forward yeah. to the legacy that will emanate from another four years of president Trump at the helm. It'll get us past this current hellscape we're in with the Biden administration. Yep. And he said, we're going to very quickly get things up to speed. And we did it once, you know, now we're going to do it again. And I, I, it's his economic policies that just continually knock my socks off. So for Sean to dismiss everything Trump did is just, he gave yeah, tax, yeah. And tax breaks to the rich. That is such a simplistic and naive analysis of what we witnessed under the Trump administration the first time. The right. GDP went up and up and up. And even when the Fed was raising interest rates, it didn't matter. It just kept going up. It would have gone up to maybe six or seven percent if the Fed had just kept those Obama policies in place. I yeah. think Trump has the gumption and the will to get rid of the Fed. It's gone. It's not even a part of America anymore. So, and Jenny, we, one, one last question. Be I gotta... we, that would be the day we could all claim liberty and freedom. Yeah, well said. And I got to run in a second, but I was curious. One last question. What do you think of Vivek Ramaswamy? I'm getting some real Obama vibes from him. He kind okay. of, he's very articulate. He's saying all the right things. But on the podcast he did, and I listened to this podcast live, he did it with David Sachs and Elon yeah. Musk. He said America should get back into the Trans-Pacific 
partnership that was the biggest red flag of all i was like no did he clarify why he thought that no i I didn't listen to that one fully no he tossed it out kind of like hey well i wonder what the response to this is going to be it's been big because the trans-pacific partnership wanted america to be subservient again to these world government overlords who want to dictate our law make us live according to their rules and, you know, Trump got us out of that. He yep. saved us from it. It was all about to be implemented. And he showed up. He's like, yeah, uh, we're done with this. Thank you very much. And we're going to put tariffs on all of our trade with all of these countries. It was yep. the most beautiful, freeing moment that we've experienced as American citizens of the last 50 years. And the yep. fact that people like Sean and others don't know about that, they can't see it, they don't understand why that was important. That's not my problem. You know, yeah. I, I'm not here to try and convince people that Trump is saving us economically. If they can't see it, they can't see it. But I think Vivek is very well spoken. I'd love to see somebody like him go back to India, the country of his parents, and take all of the good things he learned about the American dream and going to these top American schools and then and then go to work. For your people, right. for your cousins, for your family that are in India, set up businesses just like you set up here. Help your people. Don't presume to come in and tell the American people how to live. Well, hey, there's hey, a, there's an arrogance there that I'm uncomfortable with. Yeah, thanks for your answers. And as always, like I've only interacted with you a few times, but it's always been pleasant. So I wanted to call that out and give you that compliment. But um, I'm going to go. Thanks yeah, again I got to go too. Answering. I got to make. I got to make lunch for my husband. All right. Thanks everybody for showing up. Thank you, John. Wonderful conversation. I will be back another day.